called him a, a philosopher professor. Um, many uh, scholars across the ages think it's Solomon. And so a lot of things he has to say sounds like the Proverbs that he's written. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to jump right into today. All right? God, we declare your blessings uh, on this time. Um, thank you that the Word of God um, is blessed and anointed. And God, I present myself to you uh, as a servant, really just as a big pipe for you to flow through. And uh, Father, I, I'll do it imperfectly. Not everything that I say is going to be right on, but we know the things you say will be right on. So Holy Spirit, um, just move in the lives of my friends that are here, Lord. Uh, these men, these women, these students, these boys and girls. Bless what's going on right here. Bless what's going on in the children's discipleship uh, upstairs. Bless, the, bless all, as all of that is duplicated in the, in the second service, God. Uh, but we don't just want blessings over Sojourn Church. We declare blessings over the Christian churches in Huntsville, Alabama, God. We want to see the water level rise for the gospel and the glory of Jesus all over our city, God. And so we're not in competition, God. We are a team together that want to win our city for Jesus Christ. And so we bless the pastors of our, of our churches, and we bless the congregations, the other Christians, Lord Jesus, and just ask that you do a tremendous things in the other churches just as you do uh, right here. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, listen, you guys, uh, today we're, we're talking about what the house of God is and if that term is even relevant anymore um, in New, Tis- New Testament living. Um, uh, we're going to talk also about how important it is to be careful what you promise, uh, so the words that, that you use. So let me start by reading the text um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, we're just going to go chapters, uh, verses 1 through 7, um, and it starts with this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for, hev- for God is in heaven and you are on earth. <clears throat> Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is, a, this is a heavy little passage that we have here. And it's a little bit mysterious about what all's going on in this. And call, God calling people fools. And when is a sacrifice not a, not a good sacrifice that's, that's going to be accepted uh, by God. And, and so here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to start with, uh, with verse 2 through 7. And then we're going to come back to verse 1 at the end because it kind of pulls everything together. So let's jump into verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So it starts out by saying, all right, let's talk about the things that come out of your mouth. And let's compare that to a God who is king, he's creator, he's head of all things that you should, you should fear and you should revere. And when we use that word fear, uh, it's not something, it's something you tremble that God is going to throw a lightning bolt at you and, and destroy you. But it is one that just says, you're God and I'm not and I'm going to try to live my life that way. Okay? Um, so, 
So this talks about thoughtless words in general, but specifically thoughtless words to God. Uh, vows that we make, that we promise things to God. And, um, and so really our, our motivations uh, in, in making promises to God um, is, uh, and you know what I mean by that, you know, I mean you get, get yourself stuck uh, in, in something that maybe you might have caused it or somebody else has caused it. And you can fill in the blanks because you've been there. And you're just like, God, please come and rescue me. Please come and save me. If you do, then I'm going to blank. You know, if you will help me now, God, I will always do this. Or you may say, God, if you do this for me or you will keep this from happening, I will never do this. You guys, can you think about those times and you're filling in the blanks right now? These are vows that you're making before God. And God's saying, don't, don't, just, don't just let that be words that come out of your mouth. Don't be hasty in saying things to God because God will hold you accountable for it. And um, we're going to look at some examples in the Old Testament where God's done it. And then we're also going to rebut maybe a claim that says, well, that's just kind of Old Testament covenant. We're all under grace. And so, therefore, God doesn't hold you to your words. And we're going to look at at least one example that says, no, God does hold you to what you say that you're going to vow and what you're going to promise before the Lord. So, really, our motivations uh, in, in what we promise is either we're saying God is going to be impressed if I do this, or others will be impressed if I say this. And that's the context that was going on right there, is people, when they would gather together, uh, is, is they're, they're in a, a culture, a religious culture as the Jews, that when they came together, they, they, they found themselves becoming a people that either they would they'd say things out loud for God, uh, but many times they'd say it out loud for one another to be to be impressed. And I think it's interesting we keep circling around these concepts about how we get how we get approval either from God or from others. And coming back to what it is that we say or what it is that we do. And I want you to know this is a core value within the Bible is that we don't go to others for approval. You know, that either you have the full approval of God or you have no approval from God. And uh, so you either need to understand what side of the fence that you're on, but if you're on the side of the fence that says, I'm fully approved from God, you don't need approval from anyone else. Nobody else. You don't need it, that is. Um, one of the, uh, the scholars I've been using uh, to study is Kenneth Ogden. He wrote a book called The Handbook on Ecclesiastes. And, you know, talking about this thing about fools. And uh, he says, he said, fools think all they need to do is offer something and all will be well. Okay? And, and so it's, it's basically if I do something well enough, then I'm going to be approved by somebody else, by either by God or, or by others. Now, you need to know that this is ultimately a control issue. This is something where we try to manipulate others by what we say or by what, by what we do. In essence, we're saying I can buy my way out of it. Either I can buy my way out of it with God, I can pay enough, you know, I can do enough, and God is going to be okay with me as a result of that. Or we're like, okay, I know, I know Danielle, my wife, I know she's upset with me because, because, I, because I got so mad at the kids yesterday and, uh, that I need to get her flowers today, that that will buy me out of it. Okay? 
and, and flowers are a wonderful thing to do, by the way. It's a great, it's a great thing. You need to have that regularly on your, on your schedule. Uh, and if you, do something, if you do something wrong, buying flowers is not the worst thing in the world to do. But if you're doing it as a manipulation technique, then those flowers, they're going to die before they ever start to wilt. It just won't be received well uh, because we're, we just think if, if I do the right thing, even though I've done the wrong thing, if I, if I can just kind of make it up by doing this, it will, it will equal out that. And the problem with that is not the, the things we try to do to make, to make up or to try to, try to tell a person that we, we care if that's our genuine heart. The problem is when we don't confess and we don't repent. When we just say, all right, here I, I did this thing, so if I just... If I just say the right thing, or if I just buy the right thing, if I just do the right thing for them, it's going to cancel it out. It never cancels out. The only thing that's going to cancel it out is forgiveness. And that person, that other person may forgive you and cancel it out before you ever ask for their forgiveness, but you're responsible to go to that person and say, you know what, before I try to do or say anything else to try to equate for what I've done wrong, the first thing I need to do is I need to confess to you. I sinned against you. And that's what we do against our God. We go to him and say, God, there's nothing I could have done to repay for this. I just confess to you that I've sinned. Now, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you don't go to him and just say, now, God, would you please wipe it clean? Would you please forgive the debt? Would you please take away the condemnation? At that point, you just say, God, I'm so free to come to you because you've already forgiven me. There is now no more condemnation before me. And so, God, I do confess, and I confess it to you freely because you've already forgiven me. It says, uh, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Um, when I was a kid, there was a, a commercial um, for E.F. Hutton, a uh, financial advisor. And, and, uh, and most, many in this generation don't know this commercial um, but Google it, you probably can find it uh, on, on YouTube. It was a financial advisor that, uh, that just in the middle of a restaurant or in the middle of a party, that as soon as this guy spoke up, everybody stopped what they were doing and they looked over. And they were listening to what he had to say because like whatever he said was financial gold. And you listen to E.F. Hutton. And, and what, what's, what's being said here is that we are people that we talk a lot. Even you guys who are the introverts, you don't talk to everybody. But there's a few people that you talk to, and you talk, you talk a lot. And there's just a lot of noise, just a lot of chatter. And, and what we're going to see in this is that it's important for us to stop talking. It's important for us to listen um, to, what, to what, the, what God has to say, uh, rather than just listening to what we have to say. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't really want to know what I have to say or what I, what I have to think. Because in my own brokenness, I just kind of make things worse. I'll just kind of dwell on things. I'll have these, uh, a pity party for myself. You know? and, and I'll just be Debbie Downer to Dave you know, if I just listen to my own thoughts in my own mind. I don't need to listen to Dave. I need to listen to God. Um, so we need to stop the noise and we need to learn to listen to God. In fact, I just challenge you right now, just, just close your eyes if you would. And I want you just to stop. And for just a few seconds, that I want you just to, just to say, God, I, I want to listen to you.
All right, now op open your eyes. Now, for, for many of us, it was just silence. Um, for some of you, God may have just, he may have just pressed in. You may have felt the, the presence of God in, in a special way. I don't know what all God did during that time. The, the point of it is, is that we need to stop. We need to listen uh, to the Lord. Um, these vows that are being talked about, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Uh, for a dream, this verse 3, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. As I said before, making vows to God was a big part of the Jewish religion. Um, and the noun, the Hebrew noun that's used here for the word vow, it meant it was a gift or an offering that was promised to be given to the Lord. Okay, So primarily, the thought in here was, okay, here's something I'm going to do, or particularly, here's a gift I'm going to give to the Lord, a sacrifice that I'm going to make. And it could be, it could be a, uh, it could have been a bull, uh, it could have been uh, a bunch of wheat or oil, uh, it could have, uh, it could have been finances, could have been gold. Um, it certainly could have been an act uh, as well, something they did. Um, uh, the uh, Deuteronomy 12:11 speaks a little bit of this, gives you context. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes and contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. Okay? So a vow is something you promise to God that you will do, or it, sometimes it's something that you say you will not do. Um, and... Uh, uh, many times in mean, these vows, they were, there were things that they had a completion date to it. It was something that was, that was temporary. Occasionally, there, was, there were vows that were made that they were lifetime vows. But most of the time, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do this in the next month or in the next year. Or I'm going to give this uh, in the next month or in the next year. A Nazarite vow was an example of this. Um, some people will, will use Nazarite vows as an, as an example of, okay, why a person shouldn't shouldn't drink uh, alcohol, and certainly there's m many folks that should never drink. Certainly nobody under age should ever drink beverage alcohol, but for those uh, with a freedom, if the Lord says, go for it, go for it, uh, and, and only if it's done in worship to the Lord, but, um, uh, but, but even the Nazarite vow was something that was, for the majority of the people that did it, it was something that was temporary. Um, if you want could look at it, you look at number 6-5 or number 6-13 if you want to, just seeing that until the time was completed. And, the, and the, really the point of it was that it was a sacrifice to go without not only wine but grapes and, and uh, um, that they weren't around, couldn't be around dead people, uh, not that uh, you're excited about going hanging out with dead people uh, unless it's Halloween, right? But uh, it's, it was something where they had um, a time, it was like a Lent season in their life that they gave up something uh, as a sacrifice to the Lord. They were voluntary in nature, but when made, they were to be completed. God took it very seriously. An example of this in the Old Testament uh, from 1 Samuel in the very beginning, Hannah um, was the, the second wife of Elkanah. And uh, her, her, the other spouse, the other wife, uh, had kids, and she was infertile. And she was praying, God, please, please uh, give me a child. And she finally made a vow to God where she said, God, if you will give me a child, I'll give him to you. He will be your child. And uh, sure enough, uh, she got pregnant. 
uh, had a child named Samuel, and she took Samuel to Eli, the priest, and said, take him and train him up to be a servant of God. God gave me a child, and I'm just so thrilled. So she followed through with her vow. That's in the Old Testament. Let's look at a New Testament example again. People under grace. People outside of condemnation. So when you hear this, don't think condemnation. Don't think hell. Don't think unpardonable sin. Think discipline. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. We're an example of a Christian couple that during this time, there was so much need in this brand new church that's growing. And, 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 uh, and, and many people who had, who had uh, resources, they had funds, they had land, that they were selling things so that, so that the church, so the Christians could be taken care of. Uh, those that were helpless, those that were needy, uh, that they would help them. And so it was something that was led by the Lord, but it was also it was voluntary. It, they, they, weren't, they didn't have to do it. Ananias and Sapphira, they said, we're going to sell this certain portion of land and we're going to give all of it to the church. Okay? So again, voluntary. But they made this vow to God and they made it public to all the people. We don't know exactly what their motivation was, but we know it was bad because it's told that they lied to the Holy Spirit and they lied to the people. And, and you know what they did? They sold the property and they gave some money to the church, but they didn't give all of it. Right? I mean, I don't know what percentage it was. I don't know if they gave 10% and kept 90. I don't know if they gave, they gave 90 and kept 10%. Regardless, God came in and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline these folks, and I'm also going to teach the church for all the centuries forward a great lesson that even though you're under grace, I'm a God of discipline, that I love you, and I want you to be people of your word. And you know what he did? He killed them. When I first heard this, I was like, holy mackerel, that certainly doesn't seem like uh, a capital offense to me. Well, God said, this is the way I'm going to discipline. All right? And we can talk about that later on over coffee if you want, and I probably am not going to have an answer for you. But uh, the, the point was, God just said, this is, this is not acceptable. You're to be a person of your word. I mean, it's part of the reason why we're told not to, to swear to God. Um, if you referred to James 5, verse 12, said this, but above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay? So God, New Testament, under grace, is saying, man, just, there's, there's no need to swear about things. Certainly don't swear, swear by me. Just be a person of your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you put your hand out as a handshake, you know, to somebody, you, you shouldn't need to have something written out. Now, I encourage you, it's a good thing. It's a good thing legally to have things written out. It actually helps one another in doing that. But, uh, so you're not going, you're not making a mistake by doing that. But, but be a person of your word is what, is what God is telling us. Um, Jesus said this about oaths in Matthew 5, to 37. He said, again, you've heard that it was said that those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take any oath, an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Well, that was before the time of dying, I guess. But let what you say simply be yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. The point being in all of that, I mean, don't get caught up 
Don't get caught up in, well, if I go to courts, can I put my hand on the... That's, the point is not that. The point is, if you say something, follow through with it. If you commit to something, commit well. Commit well. To not follow through is said here in Ecclesiastes that you're a fool. And you don't know who the first fool is in this place? Me. Me. There are times when, man, I commit to something or, or I'll, I'll, I'll say something to somebody um, and just because I, I want them to, I want them to like me. I want them to be my friend. I'm like, you know what, man? We'll, we'll let's, you know, let's let's get together. Let's let's have lunch soon. You guys ever done that one? You know? And uh, it's just like, you know, you, you love somebody. You want to you want to get together, and and you never you never get together. And, and uh, uh, so there's several of y'all in here that we need to have lunch soon. I'm sure. But uh, it, it's but just to be just to be people. That's just like, man, be be solid. Be solid. And if you're gonna if you say something, do it. Don't say you'll do something unless you will do it. And if you say you're going to do something, do it. Don't get distracted. Don't get talked out of your commitments, including don't talk yourself out of it. And don't quit. Never quit. Um, and now, there's another side of this, though. Is, is that Within our culture, we, we actually have a culture of people that are noncommittal. And so, if anything, this kind of this would kind of lean a person towards being non-committed. Say, well, okay, then I'm just not I'm not committed. Jack, nothing. You know, it's I, I mean I'm not going to get caught in this trap. So, man, I'm not get on any teams. I'm not going to I'm not going to serve anywhere because I I, I screw everything up. I'm going to fail the people, so I'm not committing. That is not what God is telling us. What God is telling us is you count the cost. Count the cost. And listen to him, because if God tells you to make a vow, if he tells you to make a commitment, you better make the vow and make the commitment. Why? Because it's going to be the best for you. And even in that, you're not going to be, you're not going to be perfect, but mean it and stay, stay committed. Verse 4 says, pay what you vow. Keep your word. I think that sums it up. Verse uh, 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Don't, do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. The Hebrew term in here um, could be interpreted either angel uh, or messenger. And, and though those sound very different, the, the, the reason why it's, that's not totally different interpretations is many times that priests or pastors were known as angels. And, uh, and if you know me, you have no clue why it is that they would say that, because I'm no angel. But, uh, but it was, the primary reason was because somebody from the Lord that's a messenger of God. That was, that was the point. So it could be interpreted messenger or angel. So you got some people that say, it's, don't say, don't say to the angel, the actual angel, and some others, it's, they, they would say, okay, it's saying don't say to the priest that you're going to do these things. And so we're not sure exactly what's, what, what the point was in there or which one, but if you go with, if you go with uh, one or the other, uh, if you deal with the man, if you dealt with a, a priest, again, what an Israelite did is, they, is they, would, they would be held accountable. It's like, okay, this is what God has told me to do, and I'm telling you it's a communal thing, not just about a priest but about others. It's like, here's what God's telling me to do. I want you to hold my feet to the fire. And so... Um, now, if, it's, if it was an angel, um, some people have said that perhaps when God leads us to do something for Him, and something which we make a vow, we make a commitment to it, and we make it public among the community, that some have said that, that God would possibly will, will even just assign an angel 
to be there, you know, to, to assist you, to be, be right with you as, you as you walk along. The point in all of that is that you can't, you're not, you don't have the, you don't have the ability to look at anybody, an angel or a person, and say, well, I don't, it was just a mistake. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it. Um, now, by the way, if, if, if some of y'all want, I've got a lot on the cutting room floor on this, this message today, and there's some passages out of Numbers uh, and uh, some other places that, that talk through um, among husbands and wives and families how to even counteract, back then, how they counteracted vows under authority and things. If you want to study more, just uh, let me know. I'll be glad to send you some more stuff, but... Um, but really, this, what, what God is telling every man and woman is that you need, you need to man up. You need to woman up. You need to face the music. Carefully count the cost before you commit. Commit and don't quit. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Okay? That, that's painful to me because I can see many times in my life that my strength was small. I looked because I fainted in the middle of the commitment, in the middle of trying to follow through. I didn't make it. Guess what? There's grace. That's the beautiful thing of all of this is that, that there's grace. But there's God's, God's hand is at work even in showing us that, we're, that our strength is small. Even to come to the place to say, all right, God, I just I failed again. And I believe that what God is, speaks to us during those times very much uh, is is to be able to say, Dave, the reason why you failed is you were, you're trying to do it in your own strength. You were trying to accomplish it instead of relying on me. And so it's a good thing to be weak and Christ be strong in us. Verse 7, when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Now, this is not talking about dreams where you have a great cause and you rally people behind it and you, you go for it. Um, rather, the, the Jewish society at this time was they were very superstitious, um, and they spent uh, energies in their dreams and in, in vows. And so it was, kind of a, it was kind of a point of pride for them to be able to say to others, man, man, I had this, I had this amazing dream uh, the other day. Um, or for them to then start bragging about, man, did you know the vow that I've just made before the Lord? It was pride, it was arrogance that would rise up with, within them. And, and though we, we may not be a people that it's dreams and vows that we have that are, that are points of pride and arrogance, but we've got other areas, you know. Hey, you know what, you know what, I'm, what I'm doing for the poor, you know, uh, for God, you know. Uh, or, uh, or even in points of just what sounds like a prayer request, but it's gossip in which we just, we just say, you know what, man, we, need, we need to pray for, for my, my friend Fred because... You know, his, his marriage is really on the rocks. And I think, I think his wife may be sleeping around, something like that. I mean, you know, we, we just take things, we manipulate them in points in which it makes us, makes us look better, and it, but it really doesn't. God, God hates that. Uh, he hates that. Um, uh, so it says that we're to fear God. The, God is the one you must fear. So why does it say that we're to fear God? It's because in the middle of all of this, what we do so much of the time is for the approval of man. What you do in your life, you do based upon what you fear the most. Everything you do, the things you fear or revere or respect the most, that is what you will do. And so, so again, God is just reminding you, look, don't revere man. Don't even revere yourself so highly. Revere me. Fear me. 
Because you're just going to have continued collapse and implosions in your life and explosions around you. The more that you fear and revere yourself or others instead of me. Fear me. Fear me. And it's going to be so much better for you. I, it's, it's hard to get through this thick skull. Because it just seems to me, man, if I just, if I just do what I think is best, then it's going to be best for me. But you know what? I've got 41 years that says differently of me trying to do things my own way and failure and failure and failure. And God just says, I love you so much. Stop fearing Fearing yourself, stop start revering yourself, stop revering yourself, stop just re- fearing revering others or the culture of the world. Fear me. Let's go back to uh, verse 1 uh, to, to bring the context into all this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know where they're that they're doing evil. So now you see the context of what the sacrifice of fools is. The sacrifice of fools where somebody comes among a gathering of people within, within a, a group of the people of God and they do something to try to earn their approval or try to win the approval of God which is done in the wrong way. And God said, said what you need to do, you need to guard your steps. Guard your feet. Be careful what you do. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 speaks to this. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Psalm 119, 101 and 102 says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. And so we've talked about guarding our words, and here, man, the, the, the Lord is telling us, guard your actions. And so generally speaking, it's saying, look, be, just be very, very careful what it is that you commit to, that you do. But specifically, let's, let's go in deeper when it talks to the people of God and how they gather. Be careful <clears throat> in the way you come when you worship others. Uh, Kenneth Ogden again says this, said, we can retain the generalized expression and see it as referring to any sacred location where people meet for worship, all right? So talking about what the house of God is, about when we approach God. Um, D.A. Carson said this, the house of God, which is talked about here, is the temple, the, st- the structure of which pointed to God's holiness and inaccessibility except by sacrifice. Um, let me uh, quickly read this from First Chronicles 9-11. Um, Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshullam, the son of Zadok, son of Marioth, and son of Ahitub, the chief officer of the house of God. All right? There were, you had the house of God, the place where it's like this is where, this is the dwelling place of God. It was a place in which people, they would gather near, and this is where people, would, the law and the prophets would be proclaimed to them. It was the dwelling place of God. At that point, um, the, the presence of God was seen as being either, uh, progressively in the Ark of the Covenants and then later on expanded to the tabernacle and the temple in the Holy of what was known as the Holy of Holies. Now, though, it's, it's drastically different because we don't look as God as just residing in a box, the Ark of the Covenant, which is somewhere in D.C. in the warehouse, right? 
Uh, we, we don't look at him or think of him as being in a tent in a tabernacle or, or a, a temple. Um, we're told that God now lives within us. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives within Christians, all right? And this is a mystery, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonder. And so some would say, well, you know what? Yeah, you, don't ever need, you don't ever need to go to a church. You don't ever need to go and gather with people. If God lives within you, man, you can just go anywhere and experience, experience God. Now, that's half true. That's half true. I mean, anywhere you go, God is. He's there. There's nowhere that God is not. And if you're a Christian, everywhere you go, you take the presence of the Lord with you. But God has designed the, the people of God to be a family of God that come together. And it's powerful when they come together. And so, does God want you to go out on the trail or to go out on the, with the windsurfer and just experience the zeal, you know, when that wind catches you or, or uh, um, out, out there running and just say, you know, just know, man, I feel the presence of God in the way that I run. Yes, He wants you to experience all of that. That's, and that's half of it. But don't miss the other part, the vital part of being a family of God. I, the house of God, a, peop- a place where people of God worship together. The Greek word that was translated church comes from the term ekklesia, which means gathering or assembly. And strangely enough, I mean, this bridges back to the Greek word ecclesiastes that we're studying right now, which meant a gathering of people and, and the proclamations that came in that gathering, the name of this very book. From the beginning, God designed a rhythm of gathering uh, to worship Him. Um, Exodus 7, verse 16. And you'll say to Him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go. Why? Why, did, why was Moses so intent on it? Why was God so intent of it? It's because He wanted them to be able to come and to gather together to worship Him, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you've not obeyed. Early uh, Abraham in Genesis 12 and 13 responded to God by building an altar. I'm not going to read all that to you, um, but you can check it out later on. Uh, he built altars, and that was the place where he invited people to come. That's where he gathered people. That's where he would teach people about God. They gathered together, and they worshiped the very real God. Now, sojourn, we're a uh, we're thrilled to, to worship God right here in a bank. And I love that, I mean, the places we've been and we've, we've met and we started out in our, our house, you know, uh, we, we uh, went, been in two different breweries and now we're in a bank, you know. And, and so in all of that, we know it's not about the building. It's not. It's not about a bank. But you know what, though? There is something vital and precious about it. In fact, even, even about this place and this location that that God's hand is upon I, I, Just think about the streams of culture that are represented here. I mean, we're, we're across from the courthouse. And so the streams of culture, think about the law, law and justice that flows in to our city right here. We're above an, a beautiful park, and so you've got the streams of culture of beauty. We're near an art museum and a civic center, and so you've got the art entertainment streams of culture. We're near a news studio, WHNT, and so you've got the streams of culture of media, that's really close. You got restaurants and bars, so, so you got the nightlife streams of culture. We're near the Board of Education, and so you got educational streams right in here. You got residential streams between upper and, and middle and lower and government subsidized and homeless, all right near us here. You got 
you got Protestant and Catholic churches. You even have a Jewish synagogue within a, a stone's throw. And so the, you got spiritual streams. you got all the cultural streams. Man, they collide right here. That's why I love meeting here. You know? And I, man, we bless the churches that meet all over their places. But I just, I, I just know that many times it's just a small little segment, a couple of the streams. And I, I just love that to where it, you don't have to live downtown to have a connection with one of those streams. Every one of you. You connect somehow. You connect somehow with a stream that, that is represented in our downtown uh, area. And, and just, just as Abraham invited the people of God and unbelievers to come and join him to worship God, that is what we're to do. We're to invite each other and to welcome one another to come and to worship God together right here. Um, we value. We value the, a pla- having a place where people gather. Um, we value. We value even preparing this place as as a uh, a, a worship space. Um, I mean, if you look within, uh, look at just the Levites. These guys. There were some guys that man. They were in charge. They're in charge of certain bowls and making sure that they were taken care of. Others. They're in charge of instruments and the and the singers that came when the people gathered. I mean, there was people. That's that's all they did is they were part of the preparation for the environment when the people of God gathered. You know what that means? That means there's no mundane task when you're doing something when the people of God come to worship worship God. That's why I love, I mean, I, I love the teams that we have that help set up this environment. You know, you guys, man, you work hard. You get up early, set up chairs and set up sound and, and, and run slides. And, and you know what? Every bit of it is worship. And you guys who are up here, you, you're playing your instruments and you're, you're singing and, 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 and those who are teaching kids and those who are printing off things and, and, and developing crafts for the kids so they can connect to Jesus. Some of y'all, even you know it, man. You, you walk around, man. You, I, I'll see some of y'all, man. You just kind of walk around. You're, you're, you're placing your hands on the chairs or even on the tables for communion. I know what you're doing. You're praying. You're saying, man, God, bless every person that comes. You come and place your hand on the door and say, everybody that walks in, God, may you bless them. May they experience the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, there's no, there's no task that's small when it comes, comes to, to, to preparing the house of God, all right? The house of God. And please, I think y'all understand. We're not we're not from a cultural context that we think something's vital and precious about the building. That's not where we're coming from. But we're I want us to bring us rethink all that and come back around and say, you know what, God, there is there's something that's vital that's vital about where the people of God gather. We come together. We value these things. Um, we uh, we value. Uh, well, I mean, let me, let me just throw this out to you guys. Um, it, it just, as, uh, just as a, I think, an, an encouragement and as a challenge to you is if you, when you invite a guest over to your home, um, you, you do a lot of things to make sure that things are, are ready. You know, you clean up the house, and, um, and at least to some level, and, and uh, um, you, uh, you make sure the food's, food's there and prepared, whether it's, cooked before they get there or you cook it once they get there whatever it is there's there's preparation and for sure um, at, at least the majority of the time when you invite somebody to your house to come they don't beat you to your house they don't come in and they're they're sitting there before you get there now let me just kindly bring some of that 
to, to sojourn and even the way that we gather. We are a really laid-back church, and I love that because it's, and it's partly my fault because I'm just a laid-back dude. But um, I, I, I think part of what we need to do is we need to, we need to understand that this is kind of like a big family coming together too uh, to worship God and to know that, we're first of all, we need to be invitational and welcoming to one another first and foremost. Uh, as being brothers and sisters, but also to know that, man, a part of it that's always been for the centuries is the inviting of our unbelieving friends into, an, into our kind of big family gathering. And what I want to challenge you guys with is that, um, that man, let's, when, we're, when we get rolling, let's already be here. Because uh, many times, like a guest, man, they come in and, and uh, that uh, um, the rest of the family's not, not there yet. And uh, so anyway, I just want to gently uh, encourage and challenge that, that we, that we, that we th- rethink it and think about this. This is a big family gathering, that we are inviting one another, but particularly guests coming and to make sure that we're, that we're prepared, that we're in, in here and we've done all these things well. And all of those, we do that because we value Jesus and we value uh, the people that are, that are there. Um, so... We do all these things because worship's important to God and worship's good for us. And we want, we do these things because we want every man, every woman, every student, every boy and girl in Huntsville, Alabama to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not all of them are going to come to the bank. But we're going to, we just want to invite everybody to Jesus. Invite everybody to come to the worship of Jesus Christ. Not because... Not because you got just the, the best pastor or the best band, you know, because, well, you got a great band, but definitely don't have the best preacher and all, but it's because of Jesus. We invite people to Him. And uh, we come, and we come to experience Him. We come to listen to Him. Remember that, that part in, verse, in the verse says, to hear is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So this, it speaks to our purpose of gathering together that we're to listen to God. Part of the ways that you listen to God is, is you may listen to God, you know, during, after you pray. And by the way, pr- some people said prayer is a two-way street. It's not. Prayer is just when you talk to God. Then you shut up and God talks to you. Um, but you come after prayer and you listen to the Lord and meditate. You listen to God really anytime God wants to speak. But the primary way the teacher speaks to it was what was known as the law of the prophets, which was the old, what the Jews would have called the Old Testament, is they were read. They came together. They listened to the Word. They listened to the Lord speak through His, through his Word. Um, so in, in all of this, you guys, today, I just want to challenge you, first of all, don't be hasty with your commitments. Count the cost and only commit when you're committed to see it through. But don't be non-committal either. Don't be a person that just bows out and is a wallflower hanging out. Be courageous. Listen to, what, listen to the Lord and what you're supposed to commit to and commit to it. And finally, draw near to God. But draw near to God not by doing. Draw, to God, draw near to God not by promising. Okay? Do you hear me? Don't think that you're going to get closer to God or get His ear because you've said a certain thing or because you've done a certain thing. You need to come to God because you know He loves you and you just listen to Him. So when you come, when you come, just challenge you. 
when you gather together with people, come and just say, God, I got nothing to add to you. Um, I give all of that I have, but I, I, I'm not here saying if I give of myself or I give of my money or if I give of my time, if I do these things that I, I think I'm going to manipulate you into doing what I want. I come just offering myself and I just listen to you. And what would happen? What would happen if we, we did that? And that's, that's what, I, what I, I, want, I want for all of us, including me, is just an application is just that we would pray, we'd confess, we'd repent, we'd just say, God, whatever, whatever it is that you want, I come, I come and I commit to listening and praying. So um, um, in a minute, uh, I'm going I'm to pray, and then afterwards we're going to 